0: The book of Job, chapter number 42, we have, I've never preached a series out of the book of Job. I've preached from passages in Job, but I've never preached a series out of Job. And after spending a big part of this week trying to preach on the counsel of the three friends and Job's responses to it. I've never been so frustrated in my life. Somebody said, frustrated? Try outlining that. Try, getting the, try arranging that in some kind of a managed thought. I'm just telling you, it just about drove me crazy. And, and finally, this afternoon, I, I just came to the point, I said, praise God I've read the last chapter, and when I said that, the Lord said, that's it. I said, amen, Lord, thank you for permission. I, <clears throat> I preached chapter one, and I preached chapter two, and I preached a little of chapter three, and now I'm gonna preach chapter forty-two. Amen. <laughs> and uh, you go home and read the middle for yourself, and tell me what you think of it. All right. Uh, as we as we look at what has been said, let, let me let we'll 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 put in. I'm looking in chapter 42, verse number 1. The Bible says, Then Job answered, look at the phrase, the Lord, and said, I know thou can do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. And so with that, let's see if we can summarize a little bit of what's happened between here and there and in the middle. Let's pray. Father, Help us now to be found faithful. May your word abide in us and us in you. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Thank you very much and please be seated. If you didn't hear the first messages, you've heard about the patience of Job. James talked about that suffering of Job. But Job wasn't just tempted once. Job was tempted twice. And the second was more severe than the first. In the first time, Job lost everything that he had as far as all of his possessions and all of his children. And he was a great man and one of the greatest men of the East according to the book of Job chapter 1 verse 3. And he went from being a hero to being a zero with the rim knocked off in no time flat. I mean it occurred because God brought up the subject. God said to the devil, Have you considered my servant Job? Now, that was a conversation that Job was never privy to. Everything about that? The Lord never mentioned it to Job. Job never knew it took place. Job never knew it happened. Somebody said, Well, who wrote the book of Job? I was wondering if it was one of the friends. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who wrote it. I'm pretty sure it wasn't Job's wife. I'm not sure who it was. But ultimately, the whole, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So I'm not so concerned about the hand that held the pen, but rather I'm concerned about the hand that held the hand that held the pen. And the Spirit of God inspired the author of the book of Job to tell us about this meeting that met somewhere in the heavenlies, when the sons of God come before God, and Satan was also among them. Chapter number two, the same thing happens again after Job's lost everything. And again, it's a, it's a reckoning day, and the sons of God, Satan also among them, came before God to, to give an account. What have you been doing? And It's not that God needs to be informed in anything. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's never had to ask a question because he knows the answer's Before you ask. And yet he made them tell him what they had been up to. And then the devil said he had been walking to and fro in the earth. And that idea is like walking to and fro is like stepping on in the wine press. And can I say treading out the wine press? Stepping on everybody he could and causing as much misery and as much heartache as he possibly could among the human race. And God brought up Job a second time and said, you know, you, you've, you, know, you, you, you brought all these things on and you, you tempted me to destroy him and said, but, he, but he's retained his integrity. And the devil answered, yeah, it's because you've blessed him with good health, skin for skin, man will do anything for his health. You've blessed him with good health. That's what's wrong. The reason he hasn't cursed you, God. And by the way, it's interesting that the three friends of Job and the devil had the very same philosophy. They all believed that prosperity was a sign of the blessing of God and people who served God did it because of prosperity. You take away the prosperity, it takes away people's reason to serve God. When you take away people's reason to serve God, they will by nature curse God to his face. And that's what Satan said would happen. God said, all right, don't kill him, but you can afflict him. Just don't kill him. Well, he afflicted Job to the point Job wished that he was dead. Not once, but many times he wished that he was dead. He never cursed God, but he did curse the day he was born. Uh, Jeremiah, he cursed the, the man that brought tidings of the day he was born, that a man child had been born to his mama. He cursed that day. And when I say curse, I'm not talking about saying bad words. I'm talking about to curse the day. I mean, Job said, I wish they'd take it off the calendar. I wish my birthday would be taken off the calendar. I wish that that day would be removed. I don't even want that day to even be recognized. I wish that I'd never been born 10,000 times. Wish that I'd never been born. And because of Job's much speaking during this time of, of unbelievable tribulation, as far as I know, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, nobody save the Lord Jesus ever suffered like Job suffered. I find nobody in Scripture ever suffered like Job as far as i know he he suffered more than any man he suffered financially he suffered physically he suffered emotionally he suffered at the hands of his friends he suffered at the hands of his wife i mean it just made bad things worse everything that was said and done added insult to injury and you say well he's sitting on the we seen last time we saw him he's sitting upon the The heap, and he is scraping himself with a potsherd because of the boils that's on his body from head to toe. And somebody said it can't get no worse than that. Be careful how you say that, because it did get worse. His wife told him to commit suicide. Curse God, give in, and then his friends come and begin to tell him the reason your sons and daughters were killed is because they were wicked. And the reason that you're afflicted the way you are is because of all this secret sin in your life. And they said, there's no way God could like you. There's no way you could be righteous and be treated like this. And so you are suffering the chastising hand of God. And you need to get right with God, boy. You need to get right with God. Don't be too quick to judge the friends because in the inner man, in our flesh, every stinking one of us, and I'm going to use the phrase stinking because that's exactly what it is. It is a stinking, rotten, low-down, devilish, depraved response When we hear of a preacher that the bottom's fallen out of his life, when we hear of somebody who's had a great testimony and suddenly they're in great affliction, we always say, if not out loud, we say it to ourselves, wonder what they did. That's exactly what we say. That's exactly what we've done. And during this study, if nothing else, I have found myself realizing that I've, I've said some of the things Job's friends have said. I may not, it may not have said it out loud. I may not have made it, you know, I may not have said it to their face, but I said it in my mind. There's been times I've said it to my wife. There's been times I've said, boy, I wonder what happened. I, boy, God must be judging him over something. Can I tell you? They might be so close to God that they might be another Job. God may be holding them up as an example of what a Christian is before a lost and dying world. You don't know. I don't either. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible says, Judge not lest you be judged. And we'll see just in a little bit what those friends got into. And can I tell you, they did a lot more hoeing and setting out than they could reap. I'll promise you that. I'll promise you, Job wishes he hadn't to talk so much. Can I tell you that one of the things, if we can ever learn, we talked about those friends of Job's coming and sitting for a week, never saying a word, that ministry of silence, just the ministry of presence. Job didn't say a thing for a whole week, but when he talked, when he started talking, it was the pain that was talking. It was the affliction that was talking. It was the disease that was talking. and He said a lot of things that he knew wasn't right. But at the time, again, his pain was talking. And he was, he was speaking from the anguish of his soul. And he was speaking as strictly as a man. But by the grace of God, he never did do what his wife said. And that's why I want to pick up. Even in the previous chapter, chapter 41, it's almost, it's interesting the questions that God asks Job, and he starts riddling Job with a bunch of questions, and the questions are so far out and beyond Job's ability to answer. Basically what God was saying was, Job, you think you have all the answers to your affliction and your issues You don't have any of the answers. You see, I'm God and you're man. I'm the creator and you're the creator. And so I'm challenging you with all of these questions to show you how high my thoughts are above your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, Job, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And there's some lofty discussion in chapter number 41. I wanted to pick up with verse number 42. And after spending a week wallowing the counsel of the friends, I'm just going to, I'm kind of glad to see them get what's coming to them. Just to be honest with you, I'm going to giggle when I get down here to the verse, all right? And so I want you to look what the scripture tells us. And as we put in here, I want you to look at what the Bible says. Uh, the, this, this whole thing now is boiling down. God never does explain to Job what happened. He never does. Why? He don't owe him an explanation. He's God. Say, but it's my life who gave it to you. God gave it to you. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job said, naked came I into this world. Naked I'll go back to the grave. It's his when we're thinking right. Right? Bottom line is Job would not forsake God. Look what the Bible says in verse number 41. There are some things that are recognized by Job. The Bible says, I'm sorry, chapter 42, verse number 1. Chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Thou canst do Everything. There's nothing outside of God's control. And then look at the thought. No thought can be withholding thee. The idea here from withholding would be as if somebody is, is trying to set up an obstacle before God and that there is there is some sort of a, a plan to thwart or to hinder what God's doing. That's the idea behind withholding. And Job says that ain't going to happen neither. Then nobody can withhold; no thought can be withholden from thee. And so, uh, a recognition about God's deity, but then a recognition about the declarations in verse number three: "Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that that I understood not, things too wonderful for me, which I knew not." Job is coming to. Uh, the plain realization that uh, he should have been quiet because he did not understand he did not have enough of the, he did not have enough information to comment on the situation well we need to write that somewhere down in our bible be careful if you don't have enough information to comment on the situation Two or three times here recently I found myself uh, saying things and then realizing that, you know, I'd have been better off just not said that. i had been better off just, just not said anything. I'd have been better off just keeping my mouth shut. Bible says, I uttered that I understood not. He lacked the perspective. He said, I, I was talking about things I didn't know. I was talking about things I didn't understand. And then... Uh, he, he, he lacked the proficiency. He said, I uttered, he said, things too wonderful for me. Too wonderful for me. The idea of wonderful means full of wonder. Things that were so far above my pay grade, so far, far above my IQ, so far above my ability to grasp it and get a hold of it. When when you are, I, I, several times it's not uncommon that I will, Find myself sitting between two IT guys, or I'll be sitting between two fellas that are extremely proficient in computers or other things. And I don't know, I guess it's like a kid. You know how a kid will want to get in on the conversation? There's been a time or two that I, I was sitting, and, and two of the smartest guys that I know in that field. We're here one night, and we were having a conversation. And of course, uh, because we were footing the bill, I had a right to be in the conversation. But they had gotten into it, and they were speaking in these. It was almost like they were speaking binary. I mean, they were speaking digital, man. They were they were up in the lofty places. They were talking about things that I had never even heard of, and using phrases that I hadn't even never heard of. And they come across something that sound familiar to me. And I thought I knew what they was talking about. So I jumped in with a comment. Well, come to find out, it wasn't what, that wasn't what that meant. That was a nickname for something completely different. They were talking about gigabytes and I was talking about sugar bites. You know what I'm saying? And they both grinned and kind of giggled. They were polite, but they, were, they kind of grinned and looked at me and just kind of agreed with me and went on. And I got home and looked up what I'd said, and I found out what an idiot I'd made out of myself. They never said it. They never said anything. They just kind of smiled and agreed. And then I noticed that it didn't have changed the conversation. They just picked up and went on where they were. And I went home and looked it up and figured out what an idiot I'd made out of myself. I didn't. Hey, I didn't even have enough knowledge to even pick. I mean, they weren't even using the same language. Even though the words might have sounded similar, they wasn't even talking about the same subject that I was talking about. That's how Job felt when this thing was all said and done. He said, I uttered latter part of verse three, which I knew not. Basically, Job didn't have all the facts and yet he was trying to comment on it. And so he recognized a deity. He said, thou, thou can do everything. And then he recognized a declaration. Who's he that hath counsel without knowledge? And then he recognized some deficiency, he said, here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. And he was saying, Lord, in the politeness, here I beseech thee. And the purpose was, he said, I will demand of thee and declare unto me. He was wanting to learn. his I, he, hey, he said, I, I've made a fool out of myself, Lord. I didn't have all the facts. You tell me what you want me to know. And you give me the disclosure you want me to operate in, and I'll do my best to try to stay in my rim. Can I tell you, it's a fine day when we figure out to try not to be something that we're not. You, what a happy day that'll be for you when you, try, when you quit trying to be something that you're not. Uh, you know, when, when, when I go up north to preach, they, the folks, I don't know if they come to hear the message or if it's an entertainment, they come to hear me talk because they get so tickled at what I say and they get, and, it, and I got a complex over it. Boy, I, I would try to be so careful how I talked and I would try to talk, you know, as proper as I knew how, but it wasn't me. And you know, I got to watching it and it was a hindering me. And I, hey, when I get to preaching, I just preach. and I just get to preach the way I preach. I'm just comfortable. And I got to figuring out, you know what? If these fellows don't understand what I'm saying, they can ask the preacher at the end of the service. How about that? Maybe they can write down some things. Maybe we'll decipher it at the end. I never thought I'd have to pre- preach with a translator until I went to Pennsylvania to run a meeting, and I thought I was going to have to get a translator up there to translate what I was saying because they didn't understand a big part of what was going on. And so, so it was with Job had it a league way above himself and was trying to be something that he wasn't. Then he says, I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me, Psalm 119, 18, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Job said, I don't understand, but I want to understand thy ways there's the recognition about discernment he said verse 5 I heard of thee by the hearing of the ear but now mine eye seeth thee you know there's there's a progression if someone's coming oftentimes you can hear them before you see them well Job said that's the way it was with him he, 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 he had heard it but now he had seen he had heard of the hand of the Lord but now he had seen the hand of the Lord and there was that a progression in it, and he wanted to know more about the Savior. And maybe he was the one that inspired the song, I want to know more about my Lord. And this is what he said in verse 6. He's talked about his depravity. He said, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and in ashes. So we have Job's opinion as to what's taken place in the previous 41 chapters. And Job admits that he's said a lot of things and he's spoken a lot of things that he didn't understand. Still don't understand. He said, Lord, I'd like to understand. Lord, but I said some things I should not have said because I didn't understand thy ways. So the Bible tells us a little bit about Job here and about this, this recognition by Job of the situation. But then look a little deeper in this passage The Bible tells us some requirements for the friends. And at the end of Job's trial, God had something to say about these three friends. And what God had to say was not complimentary. Can I tell you that this is one of the most important passages in all the book of Job. Because had God not addressed in verse number 6, had God, uh, if the the matter had been left to the the record in verse number 6, when we get done with 6, Job says, I'm guilty. I repent and sackcloth and ashes. He wasn't guilty of cursing God. He wasn't guilty of being a hypocrite. He was guilty of opening his mouth when he didn't know what he was talking about. And if that was the last verse of the book of Job, we'd go away with the idea that those three friends were right and Job was wrong. But can I tell you, God's not going to let that happen. Verse number seven. And the Lord said unto Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Now, Job's the one that wished he was dead. Job's the one that wished that they had removed the day that he was born off the counter. Job's the one who called what was going on into question. And it was these three friends that in their minds were defending God and in their minds condemning Job. Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. There is, in what these guys said, there was, there was sin. Say, so how do you know, preacher? Because of the character. He says, you've spoken not of me in the thing that is right. They have a limited view of God, And there are cases, especially in the first discourse, talking about the chastising hands of God. There are some true things that life has said there that can be applied. There's just one problem with it. He applied it to the wrong man. He applied it to the wrong situation. Job was not a sinner. Job was not a hypocrite. Job had not been involved in secret sin. And as a result of that, They had wrongly applied the word of God. And so he said, you've spoken some things of me that are not right. He said, my wrath is kindled against thee. Verse 8, lest I deal with you after your folly. My my wrath. Can I tell you the last thing you want to do is provoke God. That's what he said. He said, you, you've provoked me. Now nowhere in the Bible does it say that what Job said provoked him. Can I tell you that God knew how bad Job was hurting? God knew how bad he was hurting. Sure he did. Job wasn't down here alone on this little planet on the ash heap. And God somewhere up in the lofties of heaven, not understanding How bad off Job is, God knew exactly how bad off he was. And for that reason, God did not hold Job accountable for some of the things that he said. But can I tell you that the friends were not in agony? The friends were not in sorrow? The friends were not in pain? What's their excuse for saying some things in the flesh? And he said, you've provoked me. My wrath is kindled against me. And he said this, I deal with you after folly. Can I tell you, you provoke God, you'll end up with a predicted judgment. God will do this exactly to you. Can I tell you, some of the things that they said that had happened to Job were gonna come upon them if they didn't straighten up and if they didn't have a change of mind, a change of heart. So there's the... There's the character of sin. He said, you spoke these things uh, that, that is not right, of me that, that, that is right. You've not spoken of me things that are right. There's the curse on sin. said, my wrath is kindled against thee. There's the contrast to the sin. He said, you've not spoken of me in the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Ha ha. Vindication. I told you I was going to grin when it got here. I mean, he... He is now, Job is vindicated. You boy, hey, Job did right. You didn't do right. Job was hurting. You weren't hurting. And you misrepresented the scripture and you misrepresented the very character of Almighty God. The Bible said that which was right Look what the scripture says. By the way, that's a complete exoneration. You do know that, don't you? When he said that which was right, that exonerated Job from every accusation. What Job did was right. He didn't say it was fair. He said it was right. Can I tell you what Job did was right? He said you didn't do right. That was an exoneration of Job. But I like this next thought. He said, my servant. Do you realize that Job was in the employment of God this whole time? Job's on the payroll. Is that not how he addressed him at the beginning? Hast thou considered my servant Job? Can I tell you he's still on the payroll? Hast thou not considered my servant Job? You've not done that which is right, as my servant Job. I'm talking about he's, he's hey he may have been out on sick leave hallelujah but he's still on the payroll. Amen. My servant he said. My servant. That which is right. Boy I like that. My servant. So he says first of all talks about that sin and this requirement of these of these three guys. And then he Brings up a sacrificial requirement to these three guys. He said, take verse chapter 42, verse 8. Seven bullocks and seven rams. Now can I tell you that was not a cheap offering? What's a full-grown steer bring right now? Anybody know? Mark's not here to tell us. What's a steer worth? Ready to go to market. What's one worth? A thousand? Thousand? Twelve hundred? Fifteen hundred. All right. Well, let's just, just let's look at it. If a thousand dollars a piece make it easy for me. Seven bullocks, that's seven thousand dollars up in smoke. Now let's go to buying rams. What are they worth? I'm talking about sacrificial rams, ones that's firstborn, ones that's without blemish, the, the pick of the litter, the pick of the herd. Now, add that to it. They easily had a $10,000 bill run up in today's money. Easily. And what's interesting is I'm not sure the way it reads, I'm not real sure if it's seven bullocks and seven rams combined. The way it reads, I'm, I'm really, I've looked at it several ways. Because he uses the term you, or is he saying, 21 bullocks, one for, seven for the each of you, and seven rams for the each of you. Now it is getting expensive. You're talking about $30,000 worth of, worth of livestock here. And he says this, take the seven bullocks and seven rams. This is the particulars. He says, take unto you. Look at the phrase. Now. You want my wrath to fall down on you? Now. You get your sacrifice. You get them lined up and you do it right now. I like that. After having spent the whole week reading everything, I'm just tickled to death. <laughs> I'm just glad I ain't one of them fellas. Amen. I'm glad I ain't Job, and I ain't glad of one of them. I'm glad I'm just a preacher reading about it. Hallelujah. But this is what really was the knockout punch. Now, listen, being told they was, was wicked, that's bad. Being told they had to offer sacrifice, that's worse. But right here is the absolute this is it now. They said, Go to my servant Job. And offer for yourselves a burnt offering. You study what that means. They said, My servant Job is going to operate in the capacity as high priest. And you go get your bullocks and you go get your rams. And you bring them and hand them off to Job. And Job will sacrifice before me. Because he's righteous, and you're not. And get her done now. You imagine that? Talk about how humbling that ought to have been. I bet you these fellas wish they'd sent a Hallmark card and stayed at the house, don't you reckon? I mean, don't you know they wish they'd just called the florist and sent some flyers and stayed at the house? I mean, my soul in the morning. Here they have done wasted seven days without saying a word and in all this time that's passed and now it's costing them a small fortune, you know. And beyond that, it's costing them a great deal of humiliation. Go uh, to Job and get him. And the supplication in all this, there's the sacrifice, but then there's the supplication that's required. And Job shall pray for you. (laughs) For him I will accept. Remember Eliphaz? You don't remember. You ain't read it. But Eliphaz said he saw this spirit and saw this vision in the night. Man, he had had this night vision and boy, he was qualified to talk about this because he had had a vision and that spirit come by him a whizzing by and this happened and this happened and man, he he was well able to address the situation because man, he had had a, a visitation of God. Wrong. He'd been eating green onions and pizza before he went to bed. That's what was the matter. He'd been having night visions, but it was of the wrong kind. because God said, "I don't hear nothing. I' have nothing I don't have nothing that you have to say. I don't have anything. By the way, I've told others, I disagree with a lot of the commentators where they try to place job chronologically, I can't find the genealogy on Job. I can't find that he's a Levite. I can't find that he's a son of Aaron. I can't find anywhere any of those things. So these things must predate that. And so I still say to you, Job is among the older books of the Bible. I I believe that. Now I know you and, and guys in Bible college, if, you, if they're teaching that they you see something else, you, you answer whatever the teacher taught you on the test, that's how you get past. Amen? Whatever they told you to say, that's what you say. But I'm just gonna tell you, there's some things that don't line up to put Job where a lot of people put him. I believe it's older than a lot of us understand. Older than a lot of us know. And here's one of the reasons is because Job here acts in the in the Position or the placement of high priest. So this puts it way on back there. More than likely pre-patriarchal. So they it put it even, even above before Abraham and put it on back. Look what the Bible says in verse number seven. He says, my wrath is kindled against thee, latter part. He said, lest I deal with you after your folly. And he required submission. The Bible says in verse nine, did, uh, th- they did according as the Lord commanded them. Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamite went and did according as the Lord commanded them. So all three of the friends of Job submitted. Not one of them refused to comply with the command of God and they did according as the Lord commanded them just exactly what God said that they should do. And so they, they went and they sac- had give their sacrifice over to Job. Job apparently made the sacrifices and Job prayed for them. Now, let's talk about the last part of this. Let's talk about recompense. This is my favorite part of all of it. There's that recognition by Job of what's going on. There's the requirement of Job's friends, what God, how task God holds them to, and the righteousness God holds them to, and then there's the recompense for Job. The Bible says in verse 10 of chapter 42, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. When did he turn it? when he prayed for his friends. Now what does that mean? Well, like I say, I have not gone through every word of every page. And I, I can't say this for sure. But I wonder if that's when the, the, the all, everything began to go away and he began to heal up. I wonder when Job prayed for them. Now, You can imagine if he's still in that shape, if he's still a sight to look upon, if he's still unrecognizable and his breath still stinks and he's still unpleasant to be around, and yet they've got to bring him sacrifice and he's got to offer sacrifice. The Bible said the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Does that indicate that if he had held a grudge and hadn't prayed for him, God wouldn't have turned his captivity? I don't know, but I will say this we better be careful. Even in victory, even when we are, even in, when we are exonerated, we better be careful to say, "Ah, oh, see, there, I told you so." Yeah. I can say it because I'm not in it, and I can say "goody goody," but boy, don't you say "goody goody"? Why, well, it might come back on you twice as bad. Some of you don't understand what I'm talking about, do you? <clears throat> but when I was a young man. Full of zeal and wrath and vinegar and whatever else. There's some folks done some things. I said, let me tell you something. If God don't strike you dead in two weeks, it'll be a miracle. They're still around, by the way. And they're doing pretty good. Matter of fact, they're doing a little better than I thought they would. Matter of fact, in some cases, doing better than I'm doing. Amen. Uh, Can I tell you that it it don't we we don't have a patent on that? And uh, you better be careful what you say. God's liable to prosper him just because you said he wouldn't, or just because you spoke foolishly and spoke out of turn. The Bible says, "Also the Lord gave." I love this principle. There's the prompting. The Lord turned the captive of Job when he prayed for his friends. There's the principle. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Twice as much. Do Somebody do the math on that. If he got twice as much, what was the yield of his increase? What was the interest on what God took away? It was 100%. Is that right? He got 100% interest. He t- took away... He had what he had, God took it away. God gave him back exactly double what he had had. And so the interest on that thing was one. How many here would like to invest in something that had 100% interest? That you knew that you could double your money for a few short days. I don't know how many days. But they were, they were few in comparison to the long life of Job. It may have seemed like an eternity when Job suffered. It may have seemed like an eternity when those friends were going on and on and on, chapter after chapter after chapter. It may have seemed like an eternity, but it was just a short time in the whole spanse of things. And when you look back, nothing Job could have done could have ever prospered him like being clay in the potter's hands, like being a submissive vessel. There was nothing that he could have done to have had this kind of gain or this kind of increase. And so a great recompense of reward. That principle is found throughout the Scriptures. And what's interesting is that this, there's recompense all through here. There's the prompting of it. There's the prim- principle of it. But once God began to recompense him, ain't it funny that his, that his popularity came back? I find him on the ash heap by himself with this old long tongued wife and nobody else around and her trying to get him to curse God. I can't find no brethren. I can't find no sisters. I can't find all they that had been on his acquaintance before, verse 11. But boy, they're back. The trial's over. The party's on. Come one, come all. And I tell you, if you judge your friends by how many you have in a fair day and how many you have when times are good and things are good, it's false barometer how many you really have. You'll find out who your friends are on the lowest day of your life. You'll find out who your friends are I had one of my men give me a plaque one time, and I've still got it. And it says, A true friend walks in when everybody else is walking out. I've had people that have have accused me and said, Well, Preacher Barton, he, I mean, we don't understand him. He preaches on righteousness. And then somebody'll mess up, and he runs to their side. We just don't understand that. Can I tell you? I got all kind of friends. a preacher boy told me one time. He said, "Preacher, I'm behind you. I got you back, as long as you're in the book." And I thought about that statement. I got all kind of people behind me, as long as I'm in the book. I mean, I got all kind of friends, as long as I'm in the book. It's when I get mad getting the flesh, that's when I need a friend. That's when you need one. When you don't do exactly right, that's when you need a friend. The Bible says, then came unto him. And look what they did. they eat bread with him. Watch that. Probably eating his bread. They bemoaned him. Ain't it a little late for that? They comfort him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And the Bible says every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one of earring of gold. Um, <clears throat> wouldn't it have been nice if somebody brought a hot cake to the ash heap? He so said, we're not ashamed to be seen will you, Job. We'll eat with you. You don't feel like fixing. Your wife's in black. She's in bereavement of her children. Hey, we'll just feed you while you're here on the ash heap, Job. Wouldn't it have been nice? You know, Job asked one of them. He said, I didn't ask you to go after the people that come and got all my, my animals. I didn't ask you to replace a one of my herd. I didn't ask you to do that. Something if the three friends had cut out a bunch of their animals and would have come leading them up and said, "Yours is gone. Here's part of mine." Hello. What if around the ash heap people had went to piling up? What if they'd have went to piling up pieces of money? And what if they'd have went to piling up earrings of gold around the ash heap and said, "Now, Job, you gonna make a comeback, son? We're gonna see to it. We're gonna see to it." Now while he's on the ash sheep, it wasn't till God vindicated him, and those three friends had to he had to do their sacrificing and praying for him. Then the crowd said, "Oh yeah, we're buddies," and they unblocked him on Facebook. Isn't that neat? Isn't that a blessing? They had blocked him on Facebook up until then, but they had unblocked him. They they refriended him. Man, he had more friend requests that morning on Facebook than he could answer. Hello? Every man gave him a piece of money and every man an earring of gold. And then there's the prosperity in this recompense. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Can I tell you, he was the greatest man in all the East. What is he now? He's probably one of the greatest men in all the world. God has blessed him a bunch. And you know, the devil wanted to make sure we knew how many he, that was killed and how many camels and how many uh, yoke of oxen and how many she-asses. We got a record of however many there was. You flip back over to Job chapter 1 verse 3 and you'll see an inventory of all the, the, the mayhem and all the havoc and all that was destroyed and taken. Well, Praise God I done turned and read the back of the book and I found out that he had 14,000 sheep. How many did he lose? Seven. And he had 6,000 camels. And by the way, you don't keep camels around us to help something to to, to help the smell of a place. That's not what they're for. They're to bring things from afar. They're like a trucking company. And if you got camels, that means that you're involved in commerce and shipping and moving. You know, you you don't have you don't have. uh, If I can say it this way, you 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 don't have six thousand Peterbilt's parked in your yard to impress your neighbors. That's what these were. These were the trucks of the, of the desert. And to have all these trucks, that means he must have had something to bring in and out. And the Bible said a thousand yoke of oxen. Oxen, when they're using the term oxen, occasionally oxen are using in sacrifice. But the term oxen is typically, when you're going to eat it, it's considered to be a bullock. But when you're going to work it, it's considered to be an oxen, steer. If you're going to have a yoke of oxens too, and the Bible said he had a thousand yoke, that means he had two thousand plow animals. So that means there was a yoke for every one of them. And if you ever understand how much ground and what size plow a yoke of oxen can pull, my grandpa had a yoke of oxen named Blackie and Bluey. He logged with them. My grandpa would go back under uh, Cedar Rock and he'd work all day to get one log and he'd skid that thing. And there was a man who was just a boy and he was raised there near the creek where my grandpa was an older man, worked up and he said he'd hear my grandpa, he'd hear him coming with them oxen and he said there was an incline and said those oxen would get to bawling as the load got heavy. And he'd start popping the whip, and he'd go to hollering at him, and said oxen will actually get down on their knees and crawl if necessary. A horse will rear up and buck, but an oxen won't stop pulling. He'll keep pulling, and said them they would get to that incline with that big log, and they would skid that log all the way out to the railroad tracks at Sulica, where he'd sell that work all day for one log, and he'd sell that log. Yoke oxen, powerful. Yoke, yoke of oxen can pull. I'm talking about sheer pulling power. Yoke of oxen can pull more forward pull than a yoke of horses can as far as straight pulling. They're lower to the ground and as far as straight line pulling. Can you imagine the, the ground, the land that he must have owned? You don't have, you, don't have, you don't have 2,000 tractors parked in your yard to impress the neighbors. You better have something for, for that many big John Deers to do. So can you imagine how much ground the man owned? Can you imagine how much they had to sow and plow and, and keep up just to feed 2,000 oxen year-round? I'm not counting the camels. And then we'll throw in over here the she-asses. The Bible says he had 1,000 she-asses. Check the inventory. What you'll find out is that he has exactly twice as much As that he originally had. And then the Bible adds this, verse 14. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And I had someone say to me one time, well, preacher, how come he didn't have 14 youngins? Or how come he didn't have 20 youngins? I said, he did. He said, no, the Bible says he had seven sons and three daughters. Aaron, in the end. I said, yeah, and the boy, and the and the Job's and Job's counsel friends, they were wrong. Because they even come to the place, they one of them said, the reason that your sons and daughters were destroyed is because they were wicked before the Lord. That's what he said. But you know what? You know how I know they weren't wicked before the Lord? You know how I know? You say, well, they were partying. You know how I know they weren't wicked before the Lord? but they were having a big time and and the house fell on them. You know how I know that they weren't wicked before the Lord? It's because the Bible says God gave him twice of everything he had. You see, he still had all those sons and daughters in heaven. Now his family's twice as large and he's got seven sons and three daughters on earth. And to go with it in the land were no women so fair as the daughters of Job, the prettiest girls of all. And the Bible says that those daughters of Job's, their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. In other words, Job had so much, he just didn't leave it to the boys. He left those girls a son's part. That didn't happen back in the day. A wife inherited from her daddy-in-law. She didn't inherit from daddy. But not old Job. He said, no, sir. I love my girls too much. I done had one family taken away from me. I'm going to let them inherit. I'm going to divide everything I got but ten. And I'll still have all I need and still have plenty. And the Bible says, and after this, Job lived 140 years. And saw his son's sons, even four generations, So Job died being old and full of days. Now, wait a minute, preacher. He lived 140 more years. That's right. That's what it says. Well, how old was he? He was old and full of days. That's what the Bible says. Old and and full of days. You know, Abraham lived to be 175. I'm talking about post-flood. Isaac lived to be 181. No, 180. Jacob lived to be 147. Joseph lived to be 110. How old did Job live to be? I'm not real sure of this and can't prove this, but he was old enough to have All those younguns, ten younguns, and they were all old enough to be grown. Now, somebody do the math on that. If you have a child on the average of every two years, then it's taken at least twenty years to have these younguns, and they're all old enough to be on their own and have their own houses. So add another twenty to that. That youngest one's grown. So we know he's 40 years old. Some suggest, and I don't know where they get it, that he was possibly 70 years old when all this came upon him. And that's how it all, I mean, he was a 70-year-old man, and he was sitting here with all the wealth and everything a man could desire, and he was one of the greatest men of all the East. And suddenly calamity came upon him. Boom. Well, I don't know how old he lived to be, but I'll say it this way. That if he was just 40 when all this came upon him, he lived another 140 years. So he lived as long as almost any of the patriarchs. matter of fact, he did. Isaac would be the oldest of 180. So what I'm saying is Job lived as least as long as Isaac did. And I got a suspicion that Job probably lived longer than any of them did. Longer than any of them. And I like what the Bible says. He was full of days. But can I I say it this way? Job died being old and full of days. But can I flip that around? Can I tell you that seeing his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren four generations Can I tell you that his days were full? He was full of days, but his days were full. And God blessed him with a long and prosperous life. I'm sure Job never forgot those days of affliction. I'm sure that he never forgot or got over but can I tell you that even the best we can tell, he don't get another wife. He's still got her. And if she's as old as he is, it's still a miracle. God touched her and she had 10 more youngins. And she probably lived long as he did to see him raised. What I'm saying is in the midst of it all, God's going to have the final say. God's going to have the final say. If you'll go to the graveyard, what you'll find out is they're little bitty graves. Then there's full-size graves. And there's graves that the day, on the, the day of birth and the day of death is the same day. And then sometimes the day of the birth and the day of the death will be over 100 years. But that little dash that separates the year they were born and the year they died is about all we know about them. A little dash. They might be a verse, might be something on the tombstone, but for a lot of them. I was in an old cemetery not long ago, been some time back ago, And one that was old enough to have what we believe slaves buried in it. It's a pre-Civil War cemetery. And many of those tomb rocks, that the, the faces of them are gone because they used soapstone because it was easy to carve. But you know, time and the elements and the rain and the wind, it's slowly washed away the names, even the dates. And in some cases, the rock's, been, the rock's gone. And in some cases, there's bodies lying there that people don't even know they're there, much less who it is. But can I tell you, God's got a record. He's got the record. And He knows every detail about every breath of every day. And can I tell you, regardless what comes your way or comes my way. But when we don't know, it pays us to keep our mouth shut. I sure don't want to have to get in the shape of Job's friends. I don't want to have to get in that shape and have to eat every word I said. Can I tell you, crow tastes a lot better coming up than it goes going back down. Let me tell you something else about eating Crow. Crow is a lot better warm than this cold. If you're gonna have to eat crow, eat it as quick as you can get to it. Because the longer it sets, the nastier it is. Yeah, if you're gonna have to eat some crow, you get to it quick. Just go ahead and get it over with rather than dread it. My friend, the things that happened to Job were a sovereign act of a holy God. And God allowed it to be so. Can I tell you there are things on this earth that we will never understand? The preacher don't have an answer. You don't have an answer. The psychologist, the psychiatrist, no one has an answer. And it'll be heaven when we find out. But I know this: we are richer. Generations are richer. The world has been enriched by the trials and the testings of dear old Job.